Dave, good to see you, mate. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Are you? I'm buzzing. I am really buzzing. I'm always buzzing when we record these podcasts. Well, it's, it's because it's a Friday. A feeling. It's because we do it on a Friday. We normally do it just after lunch. You're in that interim period of basically about to check out the week of work into the weekend. So you've got that. You got that fuzzy feeling, man. You've got that little bit of a flutter of yes. Mm. It's nearly stellar time. It's good, man. It's good. <laughs> uh, I love. I love coming to the end of a week and reflecting on a really productive week. But also, you know, these relationships we have with people. How are you doing, Phil? Hang on a second. This isn't Phil. He's gone, mate. King Cod, who's this? Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you today? Better for seeing you, Nick. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here, guesting on this wonderful podcast. I'm over in Poland today, uh, where the sun is shining, um, and I'm looking forward to a beer later as well. It's our international listener. It's our one. It was our one listener that happens to be international. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pleased. To so be you know, here. the risk is now we've got no listeners now. It's just everybody who listens to the show is actually on the show. So we might we can say whatever we want now, can't we? I'll listen back next week. I like it. That's I like we'll it. Get the just on the subjects of listeners and international guests, if you like, we're in 22 countries. I can't even name 22 countries, but we're in 22 countries according to the stats. It's that's, pretty that's cool. a global reach. You know what? Three guys from the north of England reaching 22 countries of the world, changing lives. <laughs> what, is, what is going on? Speaking of changing lives, this is my mate Nick. I know you've met already, Dave, on a couple of occasions. So, Nick, I'm really pleased that you've managed to join us. Um, I know we've asked you in the past to join us, so it's never quite worked out, but now it is actually happening. So you are our biggest fan, I believe, because after every show, we'll get a message from you, an audio or, or, or just a timed message, and you say some really nice things about it. Thank you for inviting me. I've, I've, I think I've been a listener from the second or third uh, episode, really, so I've really, really enjoyed it, and it's a, it's a fantastic listener. I, I enjoy hiking, so... Um, I often listen when I'm out, out and about in the mornings, kind of either up hills or yonder when I'm out and about. Yeah, good. It's interesting how people, well, where people listen to the podcast. It could be absolutely anywhere. So go on, tell us some of the places where you've listened to the podcast. Well, I've recently climbed Mount Tulkam in uh, North Africa. So I had a little bit a snippet on there. Um, Snowden, a bit of it in the Lake District. Limepore, which is not far from where I live, near Stockport. So all over, really. It's really good. And, and then, again, just walk into the shops. So whenever I'm out and about, pop in the, in, in the earbuds and away we go. Love it. Truly global is what we are. Maybe, maybe Nick contributes to a big chunk of those stats then, mate. As in, as in oh, yeah. Not about that. <laughs> You've just devalued them, mate. You've just You've fudged devalued those them. <laughs> to any potential uh, sponsors of the show it's actually the stats are genuine these are unique visitors in unique countries just wanted to just put that out there if anybody wants to sponsor um, a show which is in 22 different countries with thousands of, of unique listeners so i've got a quick question have you got any target countries that you're not in yet that you'd like to be in dave what do you reckon oh well I should, well to start off with i should probably pay some attention to the stats like you do and because i didn't necessarily know we were in 23 <laughs> countries so i don't know what countries we're in you're probably i don't know i get i get to surf the fact that you're you you and philip you're the mechanical guys you do what you do so anywhere is good for me similar similar kind of answer you know when we started this podcast we didn't really target anything as such other than Particular types of listeners who are going through some stuff that yeah, we've yeah. been through. 
and we could just share it with them. So if you're in the UK, if you're in Australia, if you're in North Africa, Iceland, Poland or wherever, not really bothered as long as people get benefit from the conversation. So there's no target in mind. There was there weren't really any kind of metrics or anything like that. It was just it's a lot of fun. Let's do it. See if other people like it as well and see, you know, yeah, see what yeah. happens, what feedback we get. And we're still here. So good question though. Nick, that's the way you think, isn't it? Sometimes you gather information. Analytical sometimes, yeah. I like to kind of get to the analytical. Uh, get to the nub of things sometimes. So for our other listener. Nick Thompson, you're um, you're a mentor, just like myself and Dave and Phil. You're a mentor. Um, we met on the bus- at the Business Growth of Mentoring Program, and very quickly within a couple of meetings, I thought this guy's got something about him. I really like this guy. And I've met over two hundred mentors, and I don't have the opportunity to speak with them all on a regular basis. But we communicate probably weekly, don't we? Definitely. WhatsApp voice messages. That's that's how we do it, isn't it? Yeah, I like it. It, it, it adds. A- a different dynamic than just a typed message, doesn't it? What do you like about voice messages? Well, I'm, I'm quite a rambler by nature, so it'd take me bloody ages to actually type out, type out everything I want to say so I can kind of <laughs> 30 seconds, download, press release, and off you go. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I do, I do like the voice message. Some people, some friends of mine hate the voice message. I find it too difficult to do. I think it's, it's easier to do, just take record, send, and you don't. I authentic. agree. My, my, my wife wouldn't do it. She she's, doesn't like it. She's... It's a confidence thing, really. She doesn't like the sound of her own mm. voice, and she doesn't want people uh, to kind of listen to it. So she will always tap out a, a message where I'll just download it, speak, and off we go. I think one of the main reasons I like to maintain contact with you so regularly, Nick, is that I just gain so much from our conversations. And I was thinking about this earlier, you know, what is it about Nick that I like? And so this is, you know, this might be a little bit embarrassing for you. From a technical perspective, you know, from a say like a mentoring perspective, and I think all mentors have wisdom and experiences. Your background is just so interesting. Remember, and you tell us in a second, but things like, you know, you joined, was it the Merchant Navy? No, the Royal Navy. Royal Navy. The Royal Navy, sorry, yeah. So you joined the Royal Navy, became a stockbroker, independent financial advisor, a property, I'm going to say entrepreneur, because there's so much going on with that. Yeah. And now you're doing something else, which I'll let you tell us more about in a second. So go on, Nick, tell us, tell us a little bit more. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about your journey and why people should really get a lot of value from this. Well, as you say, I have been around the block a fair few times. I left school, went to join the Navy. Um, I joined as air crew. So um, the role there was helicopter captain and navigator. Came out of that, became a, a trainee fund manager in the world of stockbroking. I've always had an interest in stocks and shares and that kind of thing. I then moved into the world of advice. So as an independent financial advisor, you're advising people on investments, pensions, mortgages, even general insurances and that kind of thing. And then um, and then I, I took some of my own advice. And this was kind of in the early 2000s. And I took my own advice and invested in property. And then very quickly, that became a full-time job. So I left the world of being an IFA and became a, a full-time property investor. So that's kind of kept me busy probably for the last... 17 or 18 years. And then I had a bit of a life, a life changing moment. I sold the property business and I was actually at a, a bit of a loss. And I thought, what can I do now? I was in a situation where I was going to literally be kind of sat at home waiting for the rents to come in from the, from the remaining rental properties. And I thought, I need to kind of give something back. And there's a, I think there's a Yiddish phrase, Andy, that you mentioned to me a while ago. I think it's Natchez or Natchez. And it's as you get older, there's a, there's a kind of a need to kind of want to give back some of you some of your experience. So um, I became a school governor 
um, at the school where my two of my three daughters go to. And I've, I've really, really kind of enjoyed that. So on the back of all of that, I've got involved in financial coaching. And for the past um, six months now, I've been involved in financial coaching. And what, what financial coaching really is, is exploring people's relationship with money. And that's what I find fascinating at the moment, how people interact with money, because it's something that we, we have to interact with every day. And some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people are terrified. But it's something that we all have to interact with. And for me, it's a fantastic topic. It touches everybody, doesn't it? If you think about people's relationship, perhaps with alcohol, tobacco, drugs and things, if there is an issue, you can step away from it. But with money and perhaps with food, we have to consume it nearly every single day. So it's something we have to live with. It's like a a symbiotic uh, relationship. Dave, tell me a little bit about this topic of money, because we've spoke about this in the past recently, haven't we? We, we kind of this, I must have a love-hate relationship with the Matrix. You know, we, we spoke the with system. this with Bo Yeah, the system. When Bo Steamhammer came on, you know, why, why do we criticise the system when we actually created the system? Do you remember that? I do. And that was a bit of a light, light bulb moment for me because, you know, Bo's perspective of, of, you know, we created it, but it's what you take from it. And one of the issues is, the system wants to drag us in and it wants us to be part of it all the way. But yeah, the, the cash thing, and again, we say it so many times, maybe it's an age thing, but it's, I can assume it. If I ever won the lottery, I would probably give as much away of it as possible. I wouldn't be the type of individual that was, you know, I've got all this cash, let's go and buy this, let's do this, let's do that. I'd probably want to use as much of it, you know, whatever it is, to have some more awesome experiences. But those experiences, to me, would be far better if I was sharing it with other people. And if those other people, you want to bring them along from the journey, you've got to give them the cash to do it. I know you give it, you do some good causes and things like that. But And I think about this quite a lot, really, you know, because obviously we, we work, we consult, we look at the way that we charge things and what you do, you know, what you do with that cash but i also like the idea of an environment where you could trade services or other things rather than cash you know so you could come to me and say dave i want to do this and you go yeah that's fine i can deliver that but in exchange i'll give you this it's a, it's the barter economy it's almost like two tomatoes yeah. are worth three eggs and it's great it's great trying to work out that balance isn't it it is, but I can't ever imagine in my lifetime I would ever experience that. You know, I mean, some of the most, some of the best work that I've ever done or I ever feel like I do is one that's not transactional money wise. I don't, I don't know why, whether it's because it feels more, more creative or you can be more creative or more fluid with it because it's, you haven't got an element of, you know, a value of cash which in theory equates to a value of time or a value of, of experience. I think that money can constrain a lot of things. You know, Whatever you're doing doesn't feel as full or as creative as it could be. Mm. I agree with that because the, the three of us are mentors and we, we do things for a different purpose other than money. Um, and that's something you, you spoke about before, Nick, wasn't it? It's like this kind of light bulb moment. You became a governor. and your purpose was was different then and it's for me it's when money's involved it kind of dirties the energy a little bit the reason we're having this conversation if there's no money involved is because we genuinely have a purpose in mind 
I think sometimes when money's in the mix, it kind of, for me, just dirties that purpose or the intention. I'm doing this because I am getting paid rather than I'm doing this because I want to see some value added in each other's lives. Nick, when, you, when you're speaking with people, what, what, what kind of things come up? Often it's money blocks that people have. There's certain things that perhaps have happened in their, in their lives that don't allow them to do what they, what they want to do. Dave, you mentioned about money being constraining, which of course it can be, but also money can offer freedom. You know, yeah, it yeah. can free up time and, and time really is one of the, is probably the main currency that we, that we can't really control. But if we have money, that perhaps means we can do certain things. So money is, is great and it's, all, it's also constraining. One of the things that you guys touched on in the previous episode, episode was how much is enough. And I think if everybody could work out how much was enough for them, then everything else falls into place. I'm a big believer of you have to, you have to get to a certain level. You know, you can go on holiday, you have a house, you have a car, you can go to a restaurant. But if you go to a restaurant and you spend £30 on a bottle of wine, there's also going to be a, a £300 bottle of wine in some restaurants. Now, <laughs> how much work have you got to do? Take out the appreciation of the wine, but how much more work have you got to do to be able to afford the £300 bottle of wine than the £30 a bottle of wine? And I'm, I'm not suggesting for any point people's people curtail their ambitions and say, I'm only going to kind of, you know, reach the bare minimum. But it's a marginal benefit the higher up the scale that you go. There is no indication, though, is there, of what that bare minimum is, I guess, because in a lot, in a lot of places or in life in general, there'll be things that you go to achieve and you know what is within that achievement. When it comes to cash and things, I think we're all, society is driven for more. It's always more, 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 more. A lot of things we do is driven by greed rather than necessity. That's certainly what we tend to see in the media. People are generally greedy and they're greedy for money or for power. Nick, is there a particular technique or a questioning line that you go down to help people work out how much is enough? One of the things that I like to do when, when, when I first meet clients is we have a, um, an exercise and it's called When Money Came to Tea. And it gives me an idea as a, as a starting point as to what kind of person they are. I might just do it very briefly with you guys if, you, if you'll allow me. But if we were to personify money, let's imagine money was a person and they're, they're coming for a cup of tea tomorrow afternoon. How would they look? What would their size be? What would their demeanor be? Have a think about what kind of person they would be. Andy, what would it be for you? Who would be coming to tea? Okay, if, if money was a person? Yeah. If, um, it's not quite the Grim Reaper, but he's, he's somebody who's he's a... Big, ugly, fat bastard. He's a greedy get. Honestly, he, if he came to tea, he'd be like, I want everything you're eating um, and I want more. I'm going to go in the kitchen and raid your kitchen as well. I'm going to empty your fridge. He's definitely a male. He's definitely a greedy, fat, bloated, horrible male who you just want on your side if, if anything goes wrong. You just, I'd rather befriend him than be an enemy of him. That's, that's who that that person is for me. Yeah. If it came to tea. It's it's almost like a it sounds almost like a bully kind of thing who you'd like to have on oh, your yeah. side in a fight, but you wouldn't really yeah. want to be friends with. Don't want to no, I don't want to befriend him, no. In fact I don't like him at all. I'm just like I just want to keep him at arm's length. You know, keep your enemies close, yeah. that kind of thing. And what about you, Dave? Who would who would be coming to tea? I would probably 
it'd be a bit like Jekyll and Hyde. One minute, it'd be like what Andy's describing, but maybe not as severe, maybe a bit more chilled out, not as grey and stuff like that. And then on the opposite side of it, on the, on the other side of it, maybe the complete opposite. So one minute it's this, and then minute it's that. You know, it wouldn't, it, it would, it'd have two clear personalities, definitely two clear personalities. And you know, you can, you can, you can see there that that Andy, the person coming to tea there, is not particularly. You're not feeling welcoming to having money to come to see you, Dave. You're a, a different kettle of fish. But I've had people in the past where it has been the Grim Reaper, and other people where it's almost been a clown, where they've where they've not taken money seriously at all. And all of these things contribute to how they view money and how they kind of view the world. It's inter- interesting point is that our our kind of money foundations are set really by the age of seven and that's all that that's environmental it comes from perhaps our parents or grandparents uh friends neighbors uncles aunties that kind of thing so by the age of seven our kind of conditioning has been set so obviously if you've come from a, a family where let's say there was a lack of money there was a money was was scarce then you take that forward into the future if money was abundant um in your family then your relationship is is different, and all of these these kind of issues kind of reflect, and you know they they kind of affect how we how we operate as adults. It's really interesting because I think a lot of a lot of our experiences as children, particularly in that kind of age of seven, when we were influenced by our parents so much at that age, we're almost living out their values in our adulthood, even though it doesn't may not even be relevant to us. How how many times? Would you think of if you asked your parents for for a bike or for some sweets? And they say we can't afford that. Oh, there's not not enough money for that. We can't. Maybe for your birthday. All of that kind of that message that you're receiving day in day out has an effect as we get older. Mm, it's a good point because I'm, I'm going to go into mine a little bit. If that's okay, just to explain probably where why I think that uh, money's a horrible thing. And I know now that it isn't rationally, as you say, it gives access to more. It can buy us more time. It can give us the opportunity to, to help and serve people. But growing up, I was the youngest of, of quite a big family. I've got a lot of older brothers and sisters and we didn't really have a, a real, we didn't have anything disposable. So my dad worked away a lot, HGV driver. And my mum had multiple jobs, factory work, cleaning, that kind of thing. So really money was just, it was a horrible thing. We, we, they just worked as hard as they could to, to give us the basic essentials, and that was it. And my older brothers and sisters had it worse because they had even less money. So there's nothing disposable. It's just literally money was almost like an evil thing. You just have to work as hard as you can to earn enough to survive. So I think that's kind of stayed with me now. I'm, I'm still a little bit overcautious. And I think a lot of people who I speak with, particularly from, you know, from, from a northern town, from council estates, have that kind of self-limiting belief. What was yours like, Dave? Probably pretty similar, you know. I I grew up. We didn't have, you know, loads of stuff, but we didn't necessarily live a life where we needed. We felt like we always had everything, but I guess life was 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 a lot simpler. And you know, my my dad. I mean, if you wanted to borrow a tenner off my dad, he you'd have to write a business plan. But if you wanted ten grand, if he had it, he'd be like, "Well, he really needs ten grand. He's in the shit." So what? He wouldn't think twice, you know. So it was all the small. It was the small. It was the opposite way around as what anybody else would normally, you know, think of. And I had mates that 
were wealthy and they they had all the stuff you know the latest jordans the latest reebok pumps and things like that but my life was quite simple and i've had times when i've had a bit of cash and i've had times when i've had no cash and the most peaceful times have probably been the times when there's not been much in the pot because everything's simple because it has to be simple by default whereas the more you have i think the more you feel compelled to do stuff with it you know and you put more and more in the mix and it's more and more stressful there's also the fact that the more you have the more you have to lose as well and there's a there's, there's a couple of ones there's about 20 different biases that kind of affect us and one of them is loss aversion and loss aversion is if you know if you lose 10 pounds that affects you more than if you gain 10 pounds so when you have accrued some money around you it becomes a really big thing to kind of make sure that you don't lose what you have. And that can also be a stress for people. People without money wouldn't think that was a problem. But when you have money, you don't want to lose it. Yeah, I, mean, I totally agree. I mean, I get that. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm 47 this September, just so you remember, guys, for when it, you know, cards and, you know, good wishes and things like that. Um, what day in September is it? I know this, just for our listener. It's 17th of September. Mine's the 26th. There you so, go. Uh, so reciprocate that. that birthday I will do. Card, I, won't get I will do. I will do. <laughs> but I've, I've worked for myself in one form or another since probably my early 20s. So I'm, I'm used to risk. I'm absolutely used to it. And I'm also used to losing stuff as well, you know, taking hits of all different size of values, you know, sometimes pretty substantial. So I'm also used to coming up with workarounds and going into survival mode, you know, just keep going. So I'm sort of used to that to the point where I'm probably not employable as in go and work for a company full time, you know, come in and work for us. I'm probably unemployable to a certain extent just because of the way I'm sort of built. I've made peace with all that. And, you know, the times where it's like the end of the month, you've got to make sure, well, it might happen, it might not. Well, if it does, then great. If it doesn't, what are we going to do to work around that? I'm used to that. And when I'm working with people that are thinking, do you know what? I want to go and start a business. A lot of the time, what will put them off is the unknown. And it'll be unknown. The unknown, it always, always comes back to the cash, doesn't it? At the end of this month, I might not get paid what I want on the day I need to be paid. And for a lot of people, it'll stop them going on to do what they want to do or doing something potentially incredible you know because they'll never know if it'll have worked or not there's a lot of pressure uh you know we've we've all been self-employed to some extent for many many years but depending on your relationship with money and your viewpoint on things it would be a block as to as to leave the security of a job of things but things do happen you know dave we spoke the, the other day about the importance of a, a of a security fund which is often six months spending in case something happens yeah. or you lose your job but how many of us can think about a time when there was a hole in the roof that could have been £2,000 or so? And you say to your wife, how the hell are we going to afford that? But if you look back, we do. We find a way. And then that becomes that, that goes into the rearview mirror. And we get over these obstacles. But it's just, it's just a fear of what might happen, isn't it? That's a really good word, that, that you just used that, which is associated with cash in general. Fear. Absolute fear, you know. And that's probably what governs a lot of people, you know, which then relates back to that system, you know, in that system of going to work, earning some cash, and then going, well, I've worked my nuts off for this. 
I want to go and spend some cash. So you go and spend some cash and you probably spend it on stuff you don't really need, but it makes you feel good. So you're like, yeah, I deserve that because I've, I've worked that hard for it. And then it's like, holy shit, that's another thing in the mix now that I've got to either sustain. So then you go back on that wheel to work even harder. And it continues and continues and continues and continues and continues. For me, I've got this thing, you know, I know sometimes that I might, I feel hypocritical sometimes when I'm talking to my kids because I'll be like, don't do this. And I'm going, when I've done it, and then I might say, don't do it. And I might go on to do it myself. But I feel, and we, again, boys, we spoke about this offline this week, that if we could educate the younger generation more around money and around that life skills and things like that, the world would be a different place. Because at the moment, these kids are going, what you do, you go to school, you go to school, you get a job, you get a job, you buy a house, you buy a house, you get married, you get married, you have kids, you work your nuts off until you retired. And at the point of retirement, then hopefully you've got a pot to go and do whatever you want to do. But then you retire, you're not very well, that money gets taken after you, off you to potentially look after you in your time of sickness, or you don't make retirement. You know, that's what blows my mind, that. There's no, I can't see any, you know, you, my kids are still in school at the moment and there's no education or anything in place at this moment in time to teach them about cash at all. I do, I do something at the school where I'm linked to where we do something called Mind Money Days and it, it goes from year seven all the way up to year 10 and year 11. But it's about this financial education of people because, you know, my view is, Geography, for example, it's great to have, but really, a couple of hours in front of YouTube, you can learn about oxbow lakes and volcanoes <laughs> and that kind of thing. Where, yeah. where, you where, can. where managing money, uh, managing money, and not so much just other life skills as well, which, which, which are really, really important and things. And these are the things, you know, even I spoke to a lady, she wants to introduce entrepreneurialism into the into, yes. into the school curriculum because mm. the way we are now is that there isn't a job for life perhaps if you're a dentist or a doctor maybe there is but we'll have perhaps three four five different career changes and there's also this new thing called a gig economy where people have got mm. perhaps two or three jobs they could be a dog yep. walker they could be a chef they could be a taxi driver all at the same time and in this world yep. where certainty is less and less people perhaps feel the need to have three different jobs because if one if one goes bad They've got two they can rely on sometimes. But I, I also think that's a great idea because, again, you taught, you, you, ultimately, the, ma the majority of people are taught you, you have one job and that's it. But what about different jobs, different revenue streams, different income streams? Gives you more options, you know? If that stops, well, this is still on the go. But I, I think it's incredible that if you're doing that within a school, and I think that could be rolled out nationally. And I think... The difference that would make would be incredible. On another note, you're definitely joining the codders because you've started to alienate certain demographics and geography teachers now will all be switching off. So we're knackered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Probably won't listen to us anyway. No, they'll all be going um, to YouTube. I think, I think guys, if you, if you think back, as, as a civilization, as, as humans, we've advanced so much from we used to need food, shelter, heat, and clothing that was that they were our own kind of basic needs yeah. we've gone way past that now and now we're talking about is it an iphone 13 or an iphone 12 and then this peer pressure in the world we we live in with marketing and um you know what what are the neighbors doing and that kind of thing it creates pressure 
that forces us to kind of compete almost because we're not competing in the same way we would have done thousands of years ago. It's it's who's got a bigger BMW than than somebody else now. <laughs> yeah. Just I want to I want to go back to this. I mean, it's a really good point because we've complicated life so much that we've lost sight of the of the essentials, the basics, if you like. And we, it's very difficult to be grateful for what we've got when there's so much bombarding us. But I just want to go back to this thing about schools and, and education, not just within schools, but education in general. There's so many people I know as adults just don't get some basic concepts about why we'd use an overdraft or a credit card or something you spoke with me about, Nick, previously was paying off a mortgage leaves you with no disposable income sometimes. You little things like this. So I absolutely agree. We, we should be teaching. I don't know what the topic is. It's something I wouldn't. I think finance would put people off, but common sense with money, you know, I don't know what you'd call it. And I think the guys on the Edge Futurist podcast will probably concur with us on this. I'd love to hear what their thoughts were. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What's been taught in schools is often bullshit and it's not relevant to, to equip you for future life. I'm fearful of my children, if you like, you know, the, the way they work. And they're quite savvy, I must admit. They've seen the way I am with money. And I'm not over tight. I'm just careful. You know, I, I think carefully about things. I, I consider risk. And Kirsten's at university and she's university with her friends. And her friends are saying, it's all right, I've got an overdraft for £1,000. Who's giving a child an overdraft for £1,000? I'm not, I'm not belittling them, but they've no idea how they're going to pay that £1,000 back. They're going to go into even more debt. They've got student finance debt already. You're going to go into an overdraft debt. I mean, a couple of things there. First of all, they've no concept of what you know what to use an overdraft for. And the other one is like, why are we giving overdrafts to people who can't pay them back? That just baffles me. What what tips do you give when you when you're educating people, Nick, on some of the basics? I think one of the points you mentioned there it comes down to responsibility, being responsible with with money. One of the things that I do with my children is anything they want to buy, I normally agree that I will pay a percentage of that. So to give you an example, Sophia, our middle, our middle daughter, wanted a laptop. So I said, within reason, I will pay half the laptop. So she had the choice of buying a £1,000 laptop, but she'd have to chip in £500, or a £300 laptop, she chips in £150, so it's less for her, but it's not as good. So I, I try and, whatever they do, I try and kind of link it in so they've got some kind of input into the decision-making process. And I think we give, I, I give the kids pocket money. And one of the things I try to do now is, obviously, when they're, when they're very young, you kind of pay for everything for them. But as they're getting older and older, okay, the, the pocket money's going up, but they're buying more and more of the things. So, for example, we give them quite a, quite a decent amount, but we're buying less clothes for them now. We're not buying any sweets and things like that. Certain things like, like um, Olivia goes for netball and things. So they're, they're, they're being given the responsibility to spend the money for, for themselves kind of thing. And if you just pay for everything for your children, th- there's, there's no kind of worth to it anyway. A friend of mine, child came out of university, had a one and a half thousand pound credit card, and, it, and they were taking a while to get the job. The dad just paid the credit card off for them and said, right, there's a clean slate, don't do it again, off you go. What has that 21, 22 year old learned about money? It's about responsibility for your actions really. And as, as we said before, Money can be an amazing tool, but it can get you into trouble. It's a really good point. So, so the word responsibility and learning how to be responsible with money. Yeah. Is that, is that the tip? What other tips have you got? 
education. I mean, again, education um, is for children to know, for example, you know, what is income tax? Even if I'm working in Sainsbury's from the age of 16 or 17, what is this thing, um, income tax, national insurance? Just just educating children from a, from an early age as to, as, as to what to expect. You've got store cards. Remember the PPI SOG that's still going on now. You know, you've got these new things called Klarna. And there was, um, who, who was the sponsor of Newcastle a couple of years ago? Uh, there was a big hoo-ha about that, wasn't there? Um, these payday loans and things. Yeah. Wonga. Was it Wonga? Wonga. They, they do serve a purpose for kind of cash flow, but it's important to understand how all these products fit in. For, for our kids, they've actually got pensions and junior ices. So I'm trying to educate them and say, look, you've got some money under the bed to go and buy sweets, but you've got some money in a junior ISA, which you can get when you're 18. And they've even got a personal pension. There's only £150 in there, but I'm trying to get them to learn about putting something aside now for the future. Because as humans, it's very, very hard for us to to kind of foresee perhaps 30, 40 years in the future. Everything's about the immediate gain. And we need to try and learn about putting something aside for the future. There's a, there's a very good book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in that, one of the main concepts was pay yourself first. So if you earn £100, straight away, put £10 away and then spend the rest. What most people will do is they'll earn £100, they'll spend most of it, perhaps £99, and then they'll save the pound. So the concept is pay yourself first because that's the investment that will roll and grow over time and then spend the rest, not the other way around. And that's one of the things that we teach the kids in school. Really, really key takeaways there. Dave. We're wired up differently, completely differently when it comes to to risk. And I think this is something I've taken from this podcast is that we, we're fearful generally when things go wrong. And you know, I spoke about this in the past. I, I lost loads of money when I left my job to set up a business. I was shafted, basically. So it made it really difficult for me to leave my job a few months ago. I, w- I was terrified that the same thing would happen again, even though I knew that I'd be okay. I've got enough money to, you know, to, to live off. The pipeline looks quite healthy, but I was fearful. But you're wired up differently to me, Dave, in that respect. You're just like, you just make stuff happen. You know, you just, you just do stuff and you make it happen. Why do you think that is? Probably because I've worked for myself for so long, you know, that long now. I'm sort of used to it. And I, I, I completely accept that some things will come off and some things won't. But it's, I hope that with age, I'm betting more on the right things than, than the wrong things. But, I mean, what are you going to do? My, my outlook is, my outlook is as long as someone's not knocking on the door and saying, Dave, today's your last day, mate. You're not here tomorrow. Then I'm just going to, I'm like, I'll crack on. You know, I'll crack on. I know that because I know if I wasn't here, God for, you know, forbid, these guys would be all right, you know. Uh, well, hopefully they would be. But also I get a buzz, I get a buzz off looking, listening to people and, you know, the opportunities that come up and it excites me. I get an absolute excitement out of it, you know, and over the years, I know a lot of people and I get through what I do, I get to speak to a lot of people. And a lot of those people are, are going, you know, we're currently here, guys, and we, we want to go there. How are we going to do it? And I'm like, right, how do we do that? How do we make it happen? I love that type of stuff. Dave, can I ask, do you feel more confident in these in, in these kind of choices now you're a bit older do you think experience kind of makes these decisions easier to take 
Yeah, because I'm a lot thicker skinned and, and weathered, I think. I'd probably take things, you know, a lot less personally. And, and I do. I know I do. Doesn't mean to say I'm necessary. Do I make more right decisions than wrong decisions because of, of that age? I don't know. Maybe I'm having more conversations and exploring more things. So the odds of things are spread, you know, you've got a more, more of a spread and having the opportunity to have those conversations and go, right, what's happening here? What's happening there? We can have a look at that. And a lot of that, a lot of that comes down to time. A lot of it always comes back to time and having the ability to have conversations about numerous things by just focusing on the same thing. But you could say that that could be negative in some instances, that you're not giving something enough particular attention because you're looking at too many things. It's, it's the mix, isn't it? It, it? It's that mixer. But with age, oh, my God, I, I would love I, – if it, what's the one thing that I would absolutely really, really buzz off? I think is if some of the things that I've done and got right and more so some of the things I've got wrong that's taken me nearly 47 years to work out, if my two kids can do that before, if I can pass some of that on to them when they're at the, the age of – 12 and nearly 16, my God, that could potentially make a huge difference, a difference to their life. And even like other people. It's basically you know, it's a shortcut. You can kind of, you can learn from your own mistakes or you can learn from someone else's mistakes. And if, if, if your children can learn from your mistakes now, that puts yeah. them so much further forward, doesn't it? Definitely. De- without a doubt. Definitely. There was something which, which kind of occurred over the, over this period of this conversation and question to you both, but I'm going to share something with you as well. First of all, I, I listened to an audiobook recently called Might's Bites by Patrick Foster, and it was about a gambling addiction. And it was, it was heartbreaking. It's one of the only audiobooks I've actually openly cried at listening to. It was so powerful because his journey was, you know, from somebody who had almost everything, you know, natural ability at sport and came from a a fairly wealthy background, all the opportunities in front of him almost took his own life because he mismanaged his finances through gambling and other addictions. He's very open in the book about it. And it kind of, there were parallels with me as well because, you know, I, because I lost everything almost financially. I'm talking financially, not everything. I almost got to the point of suicide as well, thinking, I've got life insurance here, so my kids will be better off without me. I know that doesn't make sense. But so what came up in that book, and which I've realized as well, is that. It's so much easier now to be frivolous with money because you don't even touch it anymore. So my question to you is, do you think it's harder or easier now that money's more or less just a pixel on a, on a screen somewhere? It's, de- it's, it's definitely harder to manage your money because the way things operate now, it's becoming more and more frictionless. Think back the old, to the old days. You wanted to buy a sofa. You'd pull the pound notes from, from under the bed. You'd walk to the shop. You'd go in there. You kind of try the sofa. You'd you'd pull the note out of your pocket, and every time you're doing these things, there's a point of friction where you can think about it and say, "Am I doing the right thing?" Now you click on Amazon, bam, it's there. With all with all these free returns and things now, even if it's a mistake and you don't want it, they come and get it from you. So the friction is gone, and it's just a series of numbers in a bank account. So this is where technology is great. But also, it reduces some of the barriers. And take, for example, takeaways. You know, you sat watching Love Island at half past ten. You say, "Oh, I fancy a kebab now." Bam! It's there within fifteen minutes. Um, you would never do that fifteen years ago. You wouldn't. You wouldn't be bothered to go to the takeaway and get a kebab at half ten. 
Are you been watching Love Island? I'm joking. I'm joking. I've, I've seen a bit. I don't normally watch it, but my my, my kids watch it, so I'm I'm aware of what's going on a little bit at the moment. And also, Michael Owen's daughter's in there. I'm a I'm a big Liverpool fan, so uh, that that piques my interest a bit. Okay, I won't say any more about Love Island. <laughs> well, my daughter watches it as well with my wife, and I'm sometimes sat in the room just looking at their reactions to what's going on TV. I'm like, what world have we created? I know. And you're right. There's just eat adverts coming on all the time, aren't there? Just oh, get a kebab, get a McDonald's. Anyway, what I take from that is friction. I, I like that. It has to be. You've got to create a little bit of a little bit of pain to actually do something. When you remove the friction, it just becomes easy to spend, doesn't it? Wasn't that in um, another great book recommendation we spoke about in the past? Wasn't that in um, Atomic Habits? I don't know, but I should know because I've got it, but I've not read it. It's a great book. Atomic Habits talk about about the environmental situations. If, if you're trying, if mm. you're trying to wean off a habit. Having a smartphone where you can just press things on there makes it so much more easier to kind of kind of do the things that you don't want to do. Mm, friction. I like it. Got some quick fire questions before we go. Dave, you wanted to say something. No, so I was just agreeing with Nick. I think, you know, it, it's that connectivity and it's also because it's 24 hours a day. You know, you can, you're used to only, if you wanted to go and purchase something or do something, you had a period of time within a day, say nine, well, five, to actually go and do it on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe early Saturday afternoons, everything closed on a Saturday, you know, sorry, everything closed on a Saturday afternoon. And Sunday, you couldn't do anything, you know. And I've done some, I've done work in finance on digital products and the technology that they have now is absolutely insane, absolutely insane to get you to basically buy financial products and services and then take that product and service and spend it. It blows my mind. The, the other thing that blows my mind more is the people that need access to cash who can't get it but need it for more of a general, might be a, a more life survival aspect of it, have more constraints and are, are basically have more terms and conditions and are charged more because of the potential risk, even though they'll need it more than the people that have got a shitload of money. It's just like, how can society allow that? You know, how can that be allowed? But it's the way it works. It should be working the other way around. But it's, it's bonkers, you know, when you talk about banks developing products to sell to those partic that particular demographic which is hundreds of percent more in returns than somebody that's got a load of cash and borrows, borrows it at next to nothing. Good point. Yeah, really good point. We're from an insurance background now, aren't we? Kind of, I'm, 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 I was thinking then from an underwriting risk perspective, there's the physical risk and the moral risk. You know, this, Does this person deserve it? And if they have it, are they just going to spend it and not pay it back? That's my banking and insurance background thinking there. Got some quick fire questions, guys, and they are quick fire because I'm, I'm. I think we could talk all day about money. Yeah, we could. We could indeed. Quick fire questions, Nick. If uh, if money came for tea, what would it look like to you? Ah, it was my old headmaster from when I was um, in secondary school. His name was Stuart Haggett, um, and he was probably about five foot ten, but he was always very smartly dressed in a suit. He was very serious. He was very responsible and respectable um he had a presence about him but he had a he had a good sense of humor so he was someone who you'd respect but you you, you got on with him really well but you wouldn't want to push the line 
Mr. Haggett. Legendary Mr. Haggett. Another question for you both. I think I know the answer to this one. You're 15 years old and you're going to spend your hard-earned cash on some shoes and some trainers, if you like. What do you buy? Dave, is yours Reeboks? You mean knowing what I know now or when I was actually 15? When you were 15. Pair of Nike uh, Jordan 4 or 6 in black or the uh, Reebok Pump high tops. Done. In fact, I've still not... You like your shoes. I've still not... No, I've, I, I got the Reebok high tops, which were cool, but I've never ever... I still need to get a pair of Jordan... Jordan 5 or 6 infrareds. It's on my list. Got it. So you like your shoes. Got it. Tra- trainers and jackets, mate. Trainers and jackets. I had the Reebok pumps, the high tops, at about 15 or 16, so that's what I, yeah. I, that's what I plumped for. Class. Absolutely class. I was, uh, I'm, I'm from a council estate, so I'm 15 years old. I'm spending my money wisely on some Pony NFL Pro. What oh, colour? What colourway? Oh, White. White, of course. I, I think um, LA, with, a, with a black flash or a blue flash. I think I had. I think it was LA Rams, and they were blue and yellow. And I'd have a pair of them now. You know, with the little studs on, but the studs all wore off, didn't they? Within about two weeks, the studs, especially if you were skateboarding and you were using your trainer, they just wore <laughs> off. You know, good call, yeah, good choice. Love it. Went to school, and you know, if you went to school wearing anything other than black shoes, you'd get sent home. And I loved my Pony NFL Pro so much, I went to school and knowing I'd get sent home eventually. I didn't care. I just want people to see these Pony NFL Pro. Yeah, they, yeah. they made me visible, and that's why I wore them. Anyway, currency. It's just it's currency, isn't it? It's how do you want to appear to other people? That's the thing. Another quick fire question. What does the word risk mean to you? I'm going to start with Dave. Opportunity. Ooh. I like that one. Nick. The same, the ability, the more risk that you can take on board, the more opportunity there is for kind of gain, really. So I, I've always been kind of very, very happy with risk over time, but some people are, and it's very important to, to match various things with individuals' risk profile, really. Mm, yeah, I'm quite similar. I've probably now moved towards fearlessness now. It's just, you, you can't gain anything without taking risk. Let's so, have it. Yeah, I like that one. Brilliant. Right, we're coming to the end of the show now where we get almost like a summary recap from our King Codder. Dave, what have you taken from the show that we want to share with our listener? The big thing for me has been around the educational part because I think that is something that if it was done right at that early age could create significant change, you know, to individuals and and the world at large. And I think if that's, you know, Nick, if that's happening in places, then... Maybe there's a mission there to expand that. You know, it, it, I, I think it would be key, absolutely key. And I wish, it's one of those, if I could go back in time and be at that school that you where you're teaching that, wow. I think that'd be incredible, that. We almost need to find the Jamie Oliver of uh, financial education. I think we've got him on the show right Maybe now. Maybe it's you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw what he did there. Very clever, Nick. Very good. Great, great marketing. Never miss an opportunity. A couple, of, a couple of quick takeaways from me then, and back to Nick. What I loved at the very beginning, what you said there, was just take your own advice. How guilty are we of giving advice to other people, not really taking it ourselves? <laughs> oh, to me, yes. that sounds like one of those yeah. epiphany moments for you, Nick. You know, you took your own advice and look at where you are now. And it's not just like where you are now, it's what you're doing for other people, which I really love about you. I think you're, 
you want to help people have a better life and not make those stupid mistakes that they continuously make. So take your own advice is a good one. And create friction. That's that's one of my big takeaways. So if it's something which is you know it's bad, create a bit of friction. Think about that. Do I really need that? Should I be doing that? And make the make the right choices easy. You mentioned Natchez before as well. Um Natchez was the um the Yiddish word for it's part of happiness. It's it, the, the human emotions, which Dr. Inkman was, was, has been studying. And part of human emotion is um, happiness. And within happiness, there is Natchez. And Natchez is when you get satisfaction from the achievements of other people, usually our children, but it could be our mentees. So I just wanted to expand on that. The one point I wanted to, to kind of finish with is don't let money be associated with fear, because as human beings, we need relatively little. And all the pressures that we put ourselves under is societal. So if you do start a business and it doesn't work out the way you, you, you perhaps hoped it would, don't let that be a stumbling block for you. You know, Go and try it. And what is the worst that can happen? You know, We live in a, in a society where there is a safety net. So we will always have somewhere to stay and, so, uh, and, and some kind of food in, inside us, really. So don't let money be attached to the notion of fear look at it as a as a way of it being an opportunity yeah i love that that's awesome great proper, advice yeah proper great advice could talk all day about money it is one of those topics that everybody has i think there's a there was a phrase you can't go cold turkey with money you, if you have an addiction to something you could possibly get away with going cold turkey i, I think you might have even mentioned it nick but you can't go cold turkey with money you still need it exactly so king cod talk us out of the show for our listener well, boys, as usual, it's been awesome. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And we will be back with another episode in a couple of weeks' time. If you like what you hear, give us a like, give us a share, give us a subscribe. And if you want to get involved, as, as per, you know, Nick today, drop us an email uh, on any, well, on your messages all individually on LinkedIn or drop us an email at hello at talkingcod.com. Brilliant. Uh, Phil, we miss you. We love you. Hope you're having a great break and we want you back as soon as possible. Um, so this goes out to, to our mate, Phil. Birchy and a balls. massive thank you, Nick, for... Yeah, Birchy Balls. <laughs> uh, massive thank you to Nick, who's on holiday in Poland and still wants to join the Codmasters. How's your Cod experience been today, mate? Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. I get to see behind the curtain and see what happens. <laughs> So uh, I've re- I really, really enjoyed it. I've just really enjoyed just talking COD with you guys. And as I say, it's an important topic. And I- I've really enjoyed chatting through money with, uh, with, with with two guys, kindred spirits. Awesome, boys. Awesome. Love it. To our listener, it's, it's been lovely to see you. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, yeah, stay in touch. Love you guys. Speak soon. Take it easy, boys. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed us talking COD, please give us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app and subscribe now. Quick shout out to the guys at DapDip Productions, the folks pushing the buttons behind the scenes. Check them out at dapdip.co.uk. And thanks to Rubber Bear for our theme tune, Elements. Find the band on Spotify and SoundCloud. We'll see you next time for more Talking COD.